All right. If you got your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 9. We've taken, I don't know, best guess about a month and a half off the book of Mark. We're going to get back into it. Uh, this morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 9 verses 14 through 29. Uh, as we uh, dive back into the story of Jesus as uh, given to us by Mark. Um, now, it's been a while, uh, and so where we left off in Mark, uh, Jesus and uh, three of his disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John, had gone up onto a mountaintop. Jesus had been uh, transfigured. He had been uh, kind of changed into his heavenly uh, perspective where the, his glory shone. Uh, the people, uh, God uh, spoke, uh, Elijah and Moses had come. It was this great, uh, incredible presentation of who Jesus was as God. And so now we're picking up after this story. And what we're going to see is as Jesus interacts with the crowd that is down at the base of the mountain, once he comes back, is our faith. And where does the basis of our faith lie? And really, how is our faith strengthened? Because there are times in our life where, where difficult circumstances hit and our faith can be challenged or our faith can be shook or, or our faith is what we are the only thing that we have to stand on. And so if we're going to have a faith that we can stand on, then we got to know how that faith is strengthened. And so that's what we'll look at this morning. So what we're going to do is I'm going to read Mark chapter 9 verses 14 through 29. Then I'm going to pray and then we'll make our way through the passage. Mark chapter 9, 14 starts like this. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And then someone from the crowd answered them, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often, often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So the most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now. 
Father God, I just thank you for this opportunity, God, to study your word with your church. Father, I pray that as we open up your word, God, that you would speak louder uh, than my voice ever could. Uh, God, that your word does not return void. And God, your spirit speaks through your word and is living and active. So, Father God, we pray that you would speak, that you would move, and that we would respond in worship and obedience. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. All right, so let's kind of set our context. As Jesus comes down from the mountain with Peter, James, and John, it says that he sees a crowd gathered around his disciples. And he's asking them, what's going on? What are they arguing about? Because there's an argument going on between the disciples and, and part of the crowd. And so let's look at kind of who, who's in play here at the beginning of this story. You've got uh, the disciples. Uh, you've got those who, uh, these are the Nine of the twelve who have been following Jesus. Um, these are the ones that Jesus is investing in. These are the ones that Jesus is pouring his life into. Uh, these are the ones that once Jesus dies and ascends back to heaven, uh, these are the ones that are going to be the ones that take the gospel out, that begin to uh, see the church formed and started and grown, all the exception of, of Judas. Um, then you've got the crowd. <clears throat> We've seen the crowd all throughout the book of Mark. Uh, is there to kind of see the stuff that Jesus is doing. The crowd is the one, they're the ones that are amazed, that are just kind of wild at the miracles that Jesus performs. They're kind of wild at the teaching that Jesus uh, presents. And they say no one else has ever taught with such authority and such power as Jesus. These are the ones that are kind of there to see what's going on. Then you've got the scribes. The scribes are some of the religious leaders at the time. And the scribes' whole job, their whole purpose, everything that they did revolved around them studying the Old Testament. They studied the Old Testament. They uh, taught the Old Testament. They uh, wrote commentaries on the Old Testament. They... Um, they transcribed the Old Testament. They make copies of it. There was no printing press. So it was up to them to copy it and pass it on so that there would be multiple copies of it so that it never got lost and never got destroyed uh, and, and people could get their hands on it. Uh, so these are the people that were in this argument. And we're told that they're arguing <clears throat> over uh, a father has brought his child to Jesus to be healed. Jesus was not there, so he asked the disciples to do it. So the disciples said, sure, we can do this. Now, why would the disciples think that they could do this? Well, if you remember back in Mark chapter 6, the disciples had done this. Jesus had taken his disciples. He had sent them out two by two. They had gone out and God had, Jesus had given them the authority to perform miracles and cast out demons in his name. So he had already sent them out. They had already been doing things like this, or at least in that moment they had. And so now this, this uh, father brings his son and they can't do anything about it for whatever reason. They're trying to and whatever they've done in the past, it's not working now. And so what you've got is you've got the disciples who, who have failed to do uh, casting out this, this spirit. Then you've got the scribes over here that are more than likely uh, arguing with the disciples about why they can or why they can't. And they're arguing back and forth and the crowd is gathering around to watch it. And Jesus walks up on this uh, really kind of childish, petty argument about, about who's better, about who knows more. It's like two kids fighting over who gets the toy or who gets the uh, whatever they fight about. My kids fight about a lot. All right. And so Jesus comes up to them. And he, he, he's, he sees this. He's got the, the father who tells him this. And this is his response to them. Oh, faithless generation. 
How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. So the first thing that we see here is that the measure of our faith is revealed in difficult circumstances. Now, each group, with each group, there should be some measure of faith. But understand, when Jesus says faithless generation, He's referring to everyone in the story. He's talking to the disciples. He's talking to the crowd. He's talking to the scribes. But understand, each of these people should have some measure of faith that when they're in this situation, there should be some understanding of, okay, I understand that I need Jesus to intercede in this, in this situation. I understand that I need Jesus' help. I understand that I need God to do something. Instead, you've got the disciples trying to do something they cannot do. You've got the scribes fighting and arguing about why they can't. And the crowd just there to watch the show. Now, the disciples, they've been following Jesus by this point probably about a year and a half. Maybe a little bit longer than that. They've seen Jesus do some pretty incredible things. They've seen Jesus... feed thousands of people. They've seen Him walk on water. They've seen Him raise the dead. They've seen Him perform miracle after miracle and cast out evil spirit after evil spirit. They've heard Him teach and and, and talk about how much they needed Him and needed to depend on Him. And yet here in this moment, they're trying to do everything in their own power and their own strength. You've got the crowds. The crowds have... Now, the crowd that is here is not the same exact crowd. It's not just this one group that's following around. It's just the people that are around. But the reason why they're around is because they've either seen or heard the stories of the things that Jesus has done. They've been wowed by His teaching. They've been wowed by the miracles that He's performed. And everywhere that Jesus goes, a crowd draws because of the things that they've heard and seen Him do. They've seen Him say or heard Him say and seen Him do things that no one else ever has. And so there should be some kind of understanding of, okay, the disciples can't do this. Maybe Jesus can. Maybe, maybe we should tell these people to quit fighting and to quit arguing and wait for Jesus to come back down this mountain. But they don't. And then the scribes. The scribes, all they do is study the Bible. Now, all they had at this time was the Old Testament. So the scribes studied the Bible. They should have known the prophecies of the Messiah. They should have known uh, everything that pointed forward to Jesus coming. Because they had the Word and they knew the Word and they studied the Word like nobody else, they should have known. But they missed out as well. And so all of them should have had some basis of faith to say, we need to trust in Jesus. We need to understand that that, that Jesus is uh, on that mountain. Jesus is going to come back down here and He's the one that we need to trust in. He's the one that needs to help. He's the one that needs to work here. But they have all missed it. They've all missed, um, missed how they should react in this situation. Now, for this father, he's in a tough spot. He's got his child. He wants his child healed. He wants his child well. This spirit causes great physical harm and anguish to this child. And he wants him well. He wants this this gone so his child can be healthy and well. And he doesn't know how to handle this situation. 
This is a difficult situation for him where his faith is being tested, where his faith and and trust in, in who Jesus is and what Jesus can do is really being tested. If you remember, um, it's been a couple of months ago, but back in Mark chapter 8 is when the disciples, uh, where Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they kind of went through all this stuff. And he said, well, who do you say that I am? They said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we said that this was kind of a changing point for the book of Mark. That leading up to that, uh, we saw so many things where Jesus was showing them who he was. And after that, once they've understood who he is, there's been a, a shift in basically getting them to trust him more, to see their faith built. Well, what's going on in, in this man's life? And really what's going on in, in, in our life? When we come into situations where things are difficult, where life, life throws you a curveball, and, and you're left wondering, how do I handle this? What do I do with this? I don't, know, I don't know how to handle this situation that life has thrown at me. When our faith is in Christ, not that our situations are changed, but we are given strength to handle things. We have, we have one that we can trust who is greater than us, who is bigger than us, who is stronger than us. In fact, not only that, but, but God uses uh, these moments of our faith being tested to draw us closer to Himself. James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, or meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James says that if our faith is to grow, if our faith is to mature, that we have to have these moments of testing. We have to have these moments where our faith is challenged to grow. So, this moves us to to what we're going to see in the rest of the passage is, Basically, how is our faith strengthened? How does our faith grow? We're going to see three things in the rest of the passage. And the first is this. Our faith is only as strong as who it is in. Our faith is only as strong as who it is in. Now, let's start off by by building a definition of faith so that we're all on the same page. There's, there's a couple different ways to look at faith. One, just kind of generically. And so faith, just kind of generically, is believing in something so much that it affects how you live. So the easiest illustration of this is you take that chair. You've looked at that chair. You examine that chair. Uh, that chair you saw was, was good for you to sit in. It would support you. It would hold you up. So it affected your life. You, you took action and you sat down on it. Well, biblical faith is taking everything that you know about who God is, about who Jesus is, about the promises that He has made, everything that we know about God, and we trust Him with our life. We surrender our life to Him. We place our life in His hands, in His control, based upon who He is, what He has done for us. Okay? That's faith. Faith is trusting in the person and the works of Jesus Christ. So, let's look at the story. Let's look at verses... uh, 20 through uh, 22. It says, And they brought the boy to him, and, and the, when he saw, the spirit saw him, immediately he convulsed, and the boy, uh, he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked him, How long has this been happening? And he said, From childhood. And has cast him in the fire and in the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. 
the measure of our faith is not how strong we believe or how hard we believe or how fervently we believe. The measure of our faith is in who we are believing in. Look, I could believe as hard as I possibly can that when I get home uh, uh, today for lunch, that Abigail, my six-year-old, is going to uh, cook me a steak and a baked potato for lunch. And I I could have all the faith in the world that she can do that. Guess what? It's not happening. No matter how hard I believe, no matter how much faith I have that she can do that, it's not going to happen. She, it is not uh, an option for her to do that without hurting herself or burning down our house. No matter how strongly I believe, no matter how strongly a Muslim might believe and pray seven times facing towards Mecca and, and follow all their religious guidelines and follow all this, their religious rules, no matter how firmly and how strongly they believe, no matter how strong their faith in it, it will not give them salvation. No matter how strongly a Mormon will live their life following rules to the T of cutting out sugar or caffeine and visiting enough people or talking to people and giving up two years of their life for mission and everything that they do to attempt to earn their salvation, no matter how firmly or strongly they believe, it does not do anything. Faith is not about how strong we believe. It is about who we in. It's about the strength of the one that we believe in. Look, we all, when it comes to doing something or having something done that we need done, we all go to the one that we trust, right? If you need something done with your car, you're going to go to a mechanic. I'm going to go, if my car's making noises, I'm going to go to Jim and get Jim to check it out. If I hit something and I uh, get a dent in my car, I'm going to take it to Chris Ballard and let him fix that for me. I'm going to take it to the expert, the one who knows. The one who knows about my life, the one who knows about what I need, the one who knows about what is good for me is God. He is the one who has made me, who has created me, who loves me more than anyone else. He is the one that when my life is difficult, He is the one that my faith needs to be built on something. It needs to be Him. It's not about how strong I can muster up my faith. the, The strength of my faith comes from the one who is strong and there is no one stronger or greater than God. Our goal in faith is not believing harder, but it's having a bigger vision of God. It's having a bigger view, a bigger understanding, a greater knowledge and understanding of who our God is and how awesome He is. That's how our faith is strengthened. Not by believing harder, but by seeing how big He truly is. Let me read you a quote from um, a 20-year-old... Charles Spurgeon. This is how he opened one of his sermons. He said this, The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. And while humbling and expanding, this subject is eminently consolatory. Oh, there is... Oh, there is, in contemplating Christ, a balm for every, mo- for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is a quiet for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Spirit, there is a balm for every sore. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. 
Be lost in his immensity, and you shall come forth uh, as from a, a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout thinking upon the subject of God. God is immense. God has no limits. God has no boundaries. We could spend the rest of, honestly, the rest of eternity knowing, learning more and more and more about God and never exhaust it. The God that we know, the God that we serve, the God who loved us enough to send His Son to die for us, the God that calls us His children if we've placed our faith and trust in Him, this God, He wants us to know Him. The problem is a lot of times we stop at saying God loves me and that's as far as we go. We know that God loves us and we don't go any farther. If our faith is to be deepened, then yes, God loves us, and that is the perfect starting point. But we've got to know more about God and see God bigger and greater so that when life is difficult and we need something to stand on, He is the one that we're standing on. Next, we see that our faith is strengthened when we admit our need for help. So the Father said, if you can, be gracious to us and help us. And Jesus said to him in verse 23, Jesus said to him, if you can... All things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Now, the focus of this verse is twofold. It's the focus on the power of Jesus, and it's the focus on the humility of the Father. Now, in the power of Jesus, he says, uh, all, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. There is nothing too big for God. There is nothing too big for Jesus. There is no sickness. There is no disease. There is no addiction. There is no um, depression. There is no discouragement. There is no fear. There is, no, there is nothing that is too big for God to, to not work in, work through, use, heal, to do whatever He so chooses to do. God is a big God who has no limitations. Now... Also, I want us to understand real fast, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I want us to understand this, that this when he says that all things are possible for the one who believes, this is a statement of truth about the greatness of God and us placing our faith in Him. This is not a promise. This is not a promise that says, hey, if you go to God and if you have enough faith, God's going to give you whatever you're asking for. There are, I don't even want to call them denominations, there are groups that, that say... Uh, that if you love God enough and if your faith is strong enough, then God's going to make you healthy and wealthy. And if you're sick, it's because you don't have enough faith. If you don't have money, it's because you don't have enough faith. All of that is unbiblical. All of that is garbage, honestly. Uh, what the Bible says is, is what James says. Sometimes God uses trials to build us up. But we understand that our God is big enough to take whatever is going on in our life and either use it to draw us to Himself, use it to strengthen us in our faith... Use it to, to show His glory by, by healing or doing something miraculous. That God can do whatever God wants to do. Our responsibility is to trust in Him. This is not a promise that if I pray hard enough and I have enough faith, then God's going to give me whatever I want and do whatever I want and I'm going to have an, an, an easy life in front of me. This is not a promise that says that. This is a statement that says your faith should be in God because there is no one greater or stronger than Him. And then we see the, the response of the Father. 
The father says, I believe, help my unbelief. There is such honesty and humility in this response to Jesus where he says, look, I believe. I brought my son to you because I've heard the things that you can do. I brought my son to you because I've heard that you've cast out demons before. I brought my son to you because I've heard that you've healed people before. I brought my son to you because I believe that you can do something. But look, I understand that I don't believe perfectly. Help me in my unbelief. Help me where I fall short. Help me where I don't get it all right. Help me. I need you you. Desperately, I need you. Our faith is strengthened. When we see God for who He is, we understand that that no matter how strong we might be, we are still so incredibly weak. And we go to God, we say, I need your help. I believe that you're able. Help me in the spots where I don't believe. Help me where I don't believe perfectly. I need you. I need your help. I need your strength. I need you to increase my faith. I need you to help me in my belief. I need you. Our faith is strengthened when we go to God and we say, I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need your guidance. I need you to move. I need your patience. I need your peace. I need you. Our faith is strengthened when we can admit that we're not strong enough to do everything on our own. Our faith is strengthened when we admit that God is strong and we're not. Our faith is strengthened when we can admit that God is big and that we are small. That's when our faith is strengthened. When we admit that we can't save ourselves, we can't heal ourselves, we can't can't lead our own lives without somehow getting into trouble, that we need Him. Every step of every day, we need Him. And then we close out by seeing that our faith is strengthened when we exercise our faith. So Jesus casts the fire, or cast the fire. He casts the demon from the boy, Uh, And they go into the house, and verse 28 and 29 says this, And when they had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out, but by anything but prayer. And some of you might say prayer and fasting. Our faith is strengthened when we exercise our faith. When we put our faith into practice. You know, I grew up and, and heard a couple different pastors when I was growing up say something along the lines of this, that, that when you come into those situations in life, you try everything, and when you can't figure it out, or when you can't get it done, or when everything else that you've tried doesn't work, then you try prayer. And, and I heard several people growing up kind of looked at prayer as a, as a, as a last resort, that, that, um, that God somehow wanted us to prove in our own strength, and when we proved we couldn't do it, then we prayed. Can I just say that, that is not shown anywhere in, in Scripture. In fact, the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing, to pray continually. The Bible tells us that, that prayer is not a last resort, but prayer should be our first step. And what prayer is, prayer is an exercise of faith. What we've been talking about faith, of having a big view of God and saying that we need help. Prayer is that in a very practical way. Because prayer, when we go to God, we're saying, God, whatever the situation is, I understand that I'm not big enough to do this and I need your help. 
whether it's wisdom, whether it's guidance, whether it's healing, whether it's a mirror, whatever it might be. Prayer says, God, you're in control and I need you. Prayer says, God, you're great and I need your help. Prayer says, God, you're great and I am underneath you, submitted to you, recognizing that I desperately need you. When we pray, we are exercising our faith in a very real way. And prayer should never be a last resort. Prayer should never be uh, just, hey, we've tried everything else, now let's pray. Once life gets difficult, well, one, we should be praying daily. I mean, our our life should be drenched in in prayer and in dependence upon God. But especially in in these areas where our faith is being challenged, our faith is being tested, The first response should always be, God, I need your help. God, this situation has come up. I don't know how I'm going to handle it. God, I need your strength. I need your patience. I need your wisdom. I need your guidance. I need you and your power and your hand at work. God, I need you to to, to be humble before God, to, to recognize God's bigness, to have that big view of God and say, God, I need you. Our faith... I believe the measure of our faith can, can, be, can be seen by, by our prayer life. Are we trying to handle things on our own, in our own strength, in our own ability, and then we only go to God when something gets a little bit too big? Or is God the first one we go to? Is He our source? Is He our hope? Is He our strength? Is He the one that we know is good and loves us and that we trust in? Prayer prayer is how we exercise our faith in a real way. We exercise our faith in obedience. We exercise our faith by trusting God. We exercise our faith in a lot of ways. But one of the first, one of the most practical, one of the easiest ways that we do so is through prayer. And if we want our faith to be strengthened then we have to be people who pray. Pray that God works in our, in our city. Pray that God works in our church. Pray that God works in our lives and in our families. Praying for each other. Recognizing that God is in control and that God is powerful and that God is good and that we need Him. That's what prayer does. There's a pastor named John Piper who says that that, that, that what prayer is, is prayer is when you're on the battlefield. And prayer is that, that soldier that's got the, the calm link and it's crying out for help. Saying we need the bombers, we need reinforcements, we need... That that's what prayer is. That prayer is in the midst of those difficult circumstances, the midst of those difficult situations. You're calling on the one who is stronger to come in and show his strength. We need to be people of prayer. People who have a strong faith are people who pray. Now, we've looked at how our faith is strengthened. We have a big view of God. We're people who pray. and We're people who admit that we need help. The first way this is ever shown in our life, or our, the first way this is ever shown in our spiritual life, I guess you could say, is at the point of salvation. Because at the point of salvation, we understand that we are sinners and God is the only one who can save us. 
We understand that because we have sinned, because of, of the things that we have done, that God would call sin and wrong, that, that what we deserve is judgment and what we deserve is hell. And God is the only one who can offer forgiveness. We cannot earn it our own. We cannot do it on our own. He alone is the one who can do so. So we cry out to Him. We say that we need help. And we pray and we cry out to God and we ask Him to save us. And it doesn't stop there. It plays out every single day of our life. Are you struggling with sin? Recognize that God is bigger than us. Cry out that you need help and pray to God and ask for help. Is there, is there sickness in your life? Is there financial issues in your life? Do you need wisdom? Is things going on with your kids or your grandkids? The same thing applies. Recognize that God is big. Recognize that God is great. Cry out to Him for help. When we do this, our faith is strengthened. And when our faith is strengthened through these trials, what James says is steadfastness is built up. What that means, what that means is that when our, our faith, when those trials come back again, our faith is a little bit stronger. It means we know what to do. We can cry out to God. We don't have a bunch of spiritual ups and downs because our faith is being built. Our foundation is getting more and more and more solid and stronger. And we've got something to stand on. We're not building on the, on, the, on the sand, but we're building on the rock. And the, 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 the house of faith that we're building is being stronger and stronger and strengthened and strengthened because we understand how great our God is. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now. We thank you for this time that you've given us. We thank you for your love. and God, we thank you that you're a big God. And Father God, I thank You that You have, through Your Word, God, You have revealed so much about Yourself. Father God, let us be people who, who seek to find out what that is. Father God, I pray for everyone in this room, myself included, God, that You would strengthen our faith. God, give us a big view of who You are. Father God, let us cry out for our needs, of, of the, admit that we need help, that we need Your strength. Father God, let us be people who pray. Father God, I pray that you would be at work this morning, God, whatever that means, whatever that looks like in, in everyone's life, wherever we're at, God, as you have been speaking, as you have been working, Father God, that we would just respond in obedience. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.